0: Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss what leadership looks like in the modern insurance business. We talk to insurtech leaders and founders, innovators and change agents from the insurance industry. We also talk to thought leaders from outside the industry, such as organizational psychologists, performance coaches and investment professionals. Anyone who can add value to the conversation on how to lead insurance businesses of the future. Good morning, and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Chris Finnan from Act Zero. Chris, good morning. How are you doing? Morning, Alex. I'm great. How are you doing? Yeah, no, very good, very good. Um, I always like the pretense, you know. We've been chatting for about ten minutes, but we have to throw it out like we've just met. So um, I, I always want to do I want to do that that podcast where you just sort of start and just start recording, but. Um, we have to be a little bit more formal than that in, in sure tech land. We, we, we like some formality. So, um, but look, you're you involved in a really interesting business, There's loads to talk about. Um, but I always like the guests to introduce them, their own business first. So, it'd be great if you could introduce yourself and, and the business and what you guys do. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, I'm Chris Bynan at Axe Zero.
1: Uh, we are a uh, cyber insurance, uh, excuse me, cybersecurity provider. We're just talking about cyber insurance. We uh, provide services to small and mid-sized companies, uh, really focusing on delivering you know, holistic security to them, uh, really the easy button. So if you work with us, we help you make sure that you've got visibility across your environment and that we're stopping those attacks uh, you know, when we first see them, not when they actually affect your business. So uh, we use um, some artificial intelligence to do that really efficiently and do it really fast. And that's really our, our key difference ourselves on just being the easy button and, and delivering uh, great security that, that companies can use to, to drive down their risk mm-hmm. uh, as, part of a, as part of an overall risk mitigation plan. Uh, yeah. so that's who we are. We've been doing it for about uh, two and a half years now, and uh, it's been a lot of fun so far.
0: Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, am I all right in saying, because I, I noticed that you raised the a- Yeah, pretty significant sum of money um, uh, earlier this year. Am am I right in saying that was was this year? Uh, Yeah, last year we did. We raised about a $40 million
1: uh, A round. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, I think we called it a seed round. And uh, we used that money to build up the the R&D components of the business, the research and development, the engineering team, as well as acquire uh, a company that had been doing these types of services for about 20 years. And uh, what we did is we... We use the R&D team to build new artificial intelligence, but artificial intelligence is really only as good as the data that you have, Mm -hmm. uh, much like insurance, right? So uh, for us to be able to identify those needles in a haystack, we really needed a big data set. Uh, By coming together and merging these two companies, we're able to bring that artificial intelligence, fuse it with a great data set of actual cybersecurity activity, and uh, really bring it to fruition uh, much sooner than we would have been able to otherwise. We're now seeing the results of that in practice uh, in the market now as we apply uh, this joint offering together. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Great. And it's interesting that you're targeting that kind of smaller to mid sized company. Um, And I think that's, is that the key differentiator? Because am I right in thinking that most of the things I've seen have been, out of reach for small companies whether it be kind of um I, there's so much i want to sort of unpick here because uh, is there just an education piece to start with as well because are are small to mid-sized companies aware of the risk that they're exposed to yeah it's a great question that's usually where we
1: start um and often it, it is it depends uh some some may be they may have some sense i think one of the things that we've worked hard to do and um Uh, I think we we probably are are similar in in insurance providers. Uh, You really need to contextualize the risk for the executives in the company. And uh, for things that are uh, as esoteric as cybersecurity, that can be difficult, particularly for non-technical decision makers. So we find we've got to really put uh, our service, uh, the threat landscape uh, within uh, a contextual picture that matters to their business. What is material to you? If you're a manufacturer, uh, that may, may be make ensuring that your assembly lines remain open uh, and you can continue your production capability. Uh, if you are a hospital, hey, maybe you need to make sure that your lights stay on and your emergency room is continuing to operate. So uh, for us, you know, it's all about taking this very abstract concept uh, that may seem opaque okay to non technical decision makers and making it much more approachable in terms of what we can deliver, the value. Uh, and overall, the risk picture, we want to give them uh, a realistic sense of what they're facing, how that might fit into their overall risk uh,
0: mitigation strategy, and then what role we can play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose, how do you do that education at scale? Because th- that's the thing that I, I would found quite difficult, because even to a small business owner, um, it was really interesting to me talking to some people earlier this year that were doing personal lines cyber security and, and cyber insurance sorry cyber cyber insurance i'm doing it now um people were buying personal line cyber insurance and i found that really interesting because it makes sense it's a risk i'm exposed to um i probably should have some i don't i don't think i've got any specific cover in my own insurance policy um so yeah education at scale i would imagine is one of the biggest challenges um how do you how do you get around that that's
1: probably the hardest thing that we grapple with
0: yeah. Uh, you know,
1: because every, every industry, every different size company is going to be facing a slightly different risk. What type of data do they have? You know, the data that they're trying to protect. Is it the assembly process? You know, what, what do they hold dear? And again, I think this is why m- ensuring that we can help them contextualize what we do and the cybersecurity risks within their, their already developed, we hope, risk mitigation plan. Uh, we find that that works. Now, how do we do it at scale? Well, uh, we've, we've been working on this. Uh, one of the things that we've developed is something that we call our maturity model uh, that simply takes uh, all the different elements of um, visibility that we have. Uh, and that may start with an external you know, publicly available data scan uh, of an industry or of a company to see, okay, what's happening in this industry? What's happening to manufacturers, you know, mid-sized manufacturers in North America right now? Well they're under attack by ransomware uh, criminal groups uh, who are trying to extort them for money and, and very often leaking their data right. uh, as well for, you know kind of a double extortion. So we know what that risk looks like generally. Uh, then looking at their environment, we can begin to understand uh, the vectors uh, that those criminal organizations would take to affect that organization. And, and we can start to sit down and have a very rational discussion of, you know, here's what the risk looks like to you. Here's how we understand it. Um, you can look at our maturity model and You can now begin to filter this and understand it in a couple different dimensions. Uh, If if you're a manufacturer, you may be looking at something, a compliance framework like uh, NIST 800-171 is a very common compliance framework that uh, chief information security officers or chief information officers are looking for to understand the maturity of their environment. And external auditors, suppliers, partners are also looking to benchmark their environment against. Uh, the cybersecurity maturity model at CMMC is another good example of this. So, we try to HIPAA for the health insurance industry. So, what we try to do is look at what is relevant to that industry or that specific company. And then we take uh, our understanding of their environment and really benchmark it against that. Mm-hmm. And then over time, we, we, to demonstrate value, we show them how we can help them improve against that set of benchmarks. Mm-hmm. So uh, for us, doing this at scale is very tricky, especially when you're trying to serve a broad swath of uh, of industry verticals. But uh, that's why we've really tried to develop this holistic framework that really starts with you know a common a common set of controls, a very common standard, mm-hmm. and then from there gets more and more granular. You know, if you want to start to double click for your industry, for your specific threat picture, you can do that and get very very specific. But we try to start with a big, broad picture, and then depending on their level of sophistication and, and how deep they want to go, we can drill down with them to, to, again, demonstrate where they are today, and then we hope show them progress by means of uh, delivering.
0: Mm, that's really interesting, because I, I, as you were talking, I, I was just looking at the parallels with some of the work that's been d- done in the ESG space, in the on the insurance side, so so what you've got is you've got various levels of awareness of, of, of kind of what an ESG framework would look like in respect to insurance. Um, and you've got you've got the insureds that are on different parts of their journey. So what you can't do is go, oh, we're only going to insure you know this band of people with this level of sophistication because you're not growing from a mercenary's perspective, you're not growing your business pie because you're not, there's not, you're not helping people get to that level. Um, So that kind of walking people through awareness of where they are and then presumably helping them improve along that kind of framework to being more sophisticated. And then you can start to add on these kind of additional points, which, you know, enhance their security even further. But you've got to kind of start with, you know, where are you and how can we help you get to the next stage, presumably? Yeah,
1: yeah you have got to make it approachable. And, you know, the analogy that I love is uh, the trainer at the gym. We don't just parachute in and deliver security. It is done in partnership with these firms because, again, they, they know their risks better than we do. We can help them with the mitigation plan uh, and with the actual control monitoring. But, you know, they have to guide us we have to work together Uh, if it's only us pushing it's never going to work they need to pull as well and so we dedicate a lot of time to showing them that picture but then making it collaborative and making it easy to collaborate we don't want to ask them to do things that are arduous we want to you know leverage intelligence leverage our ai to try to tee things up to make it easy so they just have to hit that easy button when they're ready to do it but um, it is a collaboration it's not perfect. We are trying to serve a broad swath and, and increasingly go really down market to the firms who uh, really need it. You know, smaller companies. Uh, that's where we see a lot of really interesting uh, new opportunities in the market, mm-hmm. as well as, you know, on the almost enterprise side of the market. We see a lot of interesting opportunities there. So uh, very different flavors of uh, prospective customers that we get to figure out how to service and, and do it in a scalable way. I think to your point, that's the, the real challenge that I face every day.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I think the the trainer at the gym analogy was one that I, I, I was thinking of as well because, the, 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 and, and I've been very mean because not letting the people in on the podcast, I've got a load of questions lined up and none of them have asked yet. So, they've, um, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> um, but I wanted to lead on to my, so my primary question really and one of the kind of key premises behind me um, wanting to have you guys as a guest was just to understand where... Cybersecurity and, and, and insurance overlap, you know, where, no, where do they meet? And, and kind of, is it inevitable that cybersecurity and insurance will overlap really? Because I think when we started, we had a blanket, cyber insurance was, this is what it is, this is what it covers. Um, and the people writing it didn't really know what it covered because it was too broad. Now we've probably arguably at times gone the other way and and, and written cyber policies that the wordings of which mean it's kind of worthless because it doesn't cover what we need it to cover. Um, And now we're in this kind of blended model where you need a personal trainer to stop you getting sick so you don't have to end up in the ER and the ER being the insurance world. So that's my kind of analogy. But but where does it kind of meet for your mind and, and where's that kind of neutral point? I think it really comes down to outcomes. You really need to define
1: what you want your outcomes of your risk mitigation, you know, risk transfer plan to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ideally with some degree of specificity. So, uh, you know, for us, we talk about maturity model. We talk about, you know, all these different elements of benchmarking uh, their risk, but it really comes down to, hey, what what outcomes are you looking for in this relationship with your trainer? You know, you want to be able to lift 500 pounds or you just want to be able to look fit on the beach. Um, you know, so I, I think you really have to define that. Again, I think that starts with uh, the board's direction for that company, the, you know, the C-suite and how they think about risks and uh, what they're prepared to accept in terms of their uh, risk profile. And then you really derive from there uh, what matters and uh, what we need to do to, to affect it. Uh, so we start with that conversation at the, at the outset. And you know, we pull as much publicly available data as we can, uh, both about the company, but also about their threat picture. Uh, that we find on, uh, on various fora and, uh, and then we're able to you know, put that picture together and, and over time develop a higher and higher fidelity understanding of what outcomes do we need to achieve collaboratively for you to be you know, comfortable and, and sleeping well at night. And you know, we're going to be able to take you uh, only so far with our prevention uh, and detection response uh, service and then you're going to have to go from there and you can partner with some of our insurers uh, who we've, we've also partnered with to then transfer, you know, the additional risk from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we really think uh, if you can identify a, a set of outcomes that you really need to achieve for your program, uh, then it works in everybody's best interest. We can really get to ground truth and we can get specific, not, you know, hand wavy. Hey, we can help you do this. But hey, what do you actually need this year? And, you know, let's figure out how we're going to get there very efficiently for you. Within your budget, within your overall strategy, so that we're not disrupting your operation, we're we're actually enabling it.
0: Mm. Um, And where does um you've launched a few partnerships with? uh, I know the partnership with Zaguru, I knew I knew about. um, um, And you know, presumably there's a few others that you're working with as well. It, where, what part does insurance play for you? Is it, a, is it a big part of your distribution play? Is it just a sort of natural that there would be that kind of butting of heads? How, how do those partnerships work?
1: We're very much at the the crawl stage. We've got some great partnerships. You mentioned Zaguro. Uh, we like to sit in that team really well. Uh, measured uh, analytics and insurance, we just uh, announced a partnership with them. We've also got a partnership with Marshall McClellan Mm-hmm. Uh, that we will be announcing uh, fairly soon. And uh, we're, we're pretty excited to work with all three. Uh, today, you know, it, it's very much, and it was very much born out of our customers asking us, hey, uh, you know, can, can you help us uh, with any recommendations for insurers, right? Do you, do you have any referral uh, partners? So it really just started there and to say, you know, okay, who can we actually bring in and, and give them a nice warm handoff? And then we began to work with the insurance companies and recognize that, hey, you know what, there is value, that maturity model that I mentioned, all of the work that we do to to benchmark and understand the risks in their environment, you know, if we can normalize that and and figure out how to share it with the customer's consent, uh, we can help them create a much more efficient underwriting process and give them a much more specific understanding, again, uh, of the threats and the desired outcomes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, now we're looking at some of that. How can we share information uh, with, with the client here and, and have the client bring in that insurance partner to make this a lot more seamless and ideally even dynamic so that you know, as they go to the gym and they work with us and they get stronger and stronger and stronger, uh, they should see a, a reduction in their insurance premium because their risks are, are going down as well mm-hmm. as they shrink that attack surface. So you know, we really want this to be, it's, it's a little bit static today, but the vision that we have is I think some of the, uh, the, the cyber insurance companies now we're seeing that are really leaning into the analytics element of this. We recognize that there is an opportunity to share data and potentially even share frameworks for measuring and assessing risk. And I think that's the really exciting thing is that we could be on the verge of moving to a much more dynamic model where you're beginning to see risks change, uh, you know, the, the risk picture change month over month as people are committing to go to the gym regularly and dedicating those internal resources with the right you know, suite of uh, vendors supporting them, of course.
0: Mm. How important do you think transparency is in, in that process? Because one of my kind of skepticisms, because that, that, that works in, in, in theory, and, I, and, I, and, and I, I, I hope we do see that. But one of my skepticisms about these types of, particularly with cyber, um, and this might be unfair, but you know, it's uh, it's about asking unfair questions sometimes. Is that cybersecurity and, and 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 cyber, particularly for a small business and a medium-sized business, you're generally selling services or buying insurances or whatever from an unsophisticated perspective you know, if you're a small business, you're probably not aware of the risk. Now, um, because cyber uh, threats are so dynamic, and, and there's such a kind of continuous uh, change on what the threats are, where they're coming from. Um, do, do we really think it's likely that, that the costs will go down? Or, or will it be something that, you know, it'd be very easy to hide behind Oh, it should be going down, but there's new kind of cyber attacks that on the rise, so I tr- just wanted to kind of ask a question about kind of transparency and and how we assure that and and yeah I, I, I've not I've not asked the clearest question but hopefully you understand my meaning. <laughs>
1: no, yeah, I'm picking up what you're laying down. I, we we see this every day. Uh, let me let me start with the transparency element of the question. Uh, I think for us we want to um, we want to develop as much client understanding of their environment and what we do. And what we find is the more involved they are, the, the better it is not just for their risk mitigation, but actually for our renewals.
0: Mm.
1: We find it makes, a, it, it makes us stickier mm-hmm. because they, you know, it, it's, re, again, it's a really esoteric concept, right? And the, the things that we defend against and, you know, our artificial intelligence working in the background to block ransomware in real time. Uh, you know, I, who understands that stuff? Like, I, I barely do. Uh, so, you know, if I'm asking a CIO uh, to come and understand the value of our service, I, I need them to be willing to roll up their sleeves and, and get into the, the, the problem space with me a little bit in order to really appreciate the full value of what we're doing behind the scenes. Because ideally, we're never calling them, right? They never see anything. We're making everything happen behind the scenes where we're just Helping them sleep better at night. They're not getting that call in the middle of the night. Um, so how do you demonstrate value? Uh, it's very difficult unless you're prepared to be very transparent about what's happening mm. and give them a look behind the curtain. So you know w- we are trying to do that, but but in a way that doesn't just make their eyes gla- glaze over, right? But actually makes it real and meaningful to them because it is material to their risk uh, their risk posture. Uh, so you know we find that, and that is a big part of our our go-to-market strategy is to figure out what level of abstraction of the threats, you know, the threat landscape, the threat actors, the dynamism that is happening, uh, do they need to have to understand and appreciate the value of our service without giving them too much and overwhelming, right? And and they're busy people. Um, And then, you know, to to address the second element of your question, you're absolutely right. Uh, We notice that the attackers are getting more and more sophisticated. We really try not to use fear uh, to sell, and it, it is a fine line between giving them that realistic picture without, you know, being too overwrought. Mm-hmm. We never want to do that. Um, but again, if if we can strike that balance, if we can create sort of the right level of abstraction to understand the problem and how it fits in with their strategy, you know, that that's our sweet spot. And uh, again, you know, when we when we're able to do that well. We, we find that these customers stick with us for a long time because they do, they, it's a great partnership, right? Mm-hmm. They're getting stronger. Uh, we're, we're helping them get stronger. And so they, they, they experience that value. And, you know, I would just say we absolutely do. Um, we do see, we find it is easier to protect environments where the customer is proactively working to reduce their attack surface. It is less for us to have to defend. And especially in the era of, you know, COVID-driven remote work, where you now have people not working from a single office in a single uh, firewalled network, but rather you know all over the globe, right, or all over a continent. Uh, this becomes a harder problem. It uh, we're dealing with much more complex IT environments that are more difficult and um, dynamic uh, from week to week to to really understand and learn how to defend. So, the more we have that client engaged to help us understand their environment. And, you know, cl- close and lock the doors wherever we can point them out, the easier it is for us to defend against an ever evolving uh, criminal threat, which we absolutely continue to see. And again, that's why we we've got an enormous data science security engineering team. I think we're, we're a little bit unusual for a company our size to have a, a, a data science and security engineering team this big because we need to constantly be innovating at least at the pace of the attackers, but ideally even ahead of them. Uh, mm-hmm. to, to keep our customers ahead of that threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't always see that all that stuff that's happening in the background. So what we can focus on is the security of their environment and what that means to them in terms of those outcomes that I, that right. I talked about.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, thank you for that. It's, um, it's an interesting parallel between what you just said there about the, your services and the insurance industry anyway, because ideally... Um, I run my medium sized manufacturing business, I get Act Zero to kind of protect me from cyber threats. Um, and I never speak to you because you do it all in the background. Um, and insurance is the same, you know, insurance is protecting me against, you know, some, some, some very true risk. Um, but ideally, I never have to call them. And And then it's what's really interesting about that is that you have the parallel problem of how do you engage with your um, end consumer in in a way that's kind of meaningful and interesting. Let's be honest. You know, um, I'm a guy that works in insur- insurance, and we're always saying on this podcast that when I buy insurances, I still don't read the wordings. You know, I, I just, I just, I don't. Nobody wants to read. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to read the twelve pages of wordings. And there's a little bit like that. I would imagine with with your services, a little bit of I know what I want from it as a consumer. I want you to protect us. But to a certain extent, there's, there's, I want to understand as as little as I need to and as much as is useful, and there's a there's a, there's a magic balance there. So it's that's quite interesting. Um, but but leading on to your team, you are you, saying huge data science team, engineering team to keep constantly keep ahead of the threat. Is that where? Because I always think that this is like a systemic risk to the insurance industry because. Where we used to underwrite cyber, cyber policies, and they were very kind of vanilla. Now it's like, well, what is and isn't the cyber threat these days? You know, if it if it if it can if it can impact an oil pipeline and 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 blow it up, cause property damage, what does it come under? And it, obviously, know yeah, ultimately, it's all about kind of tra- tracking back. But how is the industry supposed to keep up to date with this? Um, and, and I suppose a sort of follow up to that question as well is that you've obviously been running the business for two and a half years and I appreciate some of that was in stealth mode, but presumably the kind of, you might have seen, you've seen two things, the threat change and the insurance industry change. Um, is it feasible that the insurance industry can keep up to speed with the changes and the dynamic environment in, in your uh, in your experience? This is
1: why this, Sector so hard. Uh, I, I do think that you can create um, frameworks that allow you to, you know, that have enough play in the joints, if you will, so that they can continuously evolve as the threat evolves. Uh, the, the, the really hard problem, though, is, is the one that you said, which is the, the criminals have recognized that uh, by attacking supply chain, you know, the, the software that is broadly used, right? It could be a, a cloud service, it could be uh, a remote. Uh, desktop uh, access tool uh, or administration tool. Uh, you know th- there are ways of of affecting a broad swath of the economy uh, that makes it very difficult to to really understand the risks uh, as it relates to any single entity who you're trying to uh, to protect or insure. And um, you know as I've as I've seen the industry evolve a little bit and, and recognize now that again the attackers are seeing these economies of scale. Uh, by attacking the the broadly used software rather than trying to specifically attack, um, you know, organizations. Uh, This is creating a very difficult uh, systemic problem for us to protect against uh, and mitigate, uh, but also to, of course, uh, transfer that risk and and do so predictably. So um, I think, you know, this is where we're recognizing uh, a new type of challenge The, the criminals, I think, have really identified this as something that is going to enable their economic model. And uh, you know, I think it's going to take probably a combination of you know uh, innovation within our, our uh, categories, but also probably some type of government backstopping to help us you know create a landscape that is insurable, where we can mitigate these risks um, smartly, and again, not have to do so you know with very narrowly written policies, do so with policies that are actually delivering. Uh, value and um, uh, that's hard to do as the criminals sort of expand and get get more sophisticated at these types of you know systemic attacks. But uh, I definitely think that that's the the world in which we're uh, we're we're entering into.
0: Mm. Yeah, because I mean the partnership piece for me is the only bit that makes sense. Um, the alternative being that businesses like Act Zero, um, obviously the opportunity would be there. To offer your own insurance policies as well, um, either on an MGA model or—is or that something that was ever considered or not at all?
1: Yeah, we we've looked at that a little bit, um, but you know that's not our specific knowledge. And I think we've we've really uh, come to realize that uh, partnering is a, is smarter. And we want to we want to be experts at cybersecurity, not at uh, insurance. And I think you know. Fusing together these two specific knowledge sets uh, gives you a much stronger overall package, and and again, that's why we we haven't done just one partnership with insurance uh, the partners, but we've looked at three or four now and continue to develop uh, new partnerships because we see this being an ecosystem model where if you can, uh, you know, if we can create a service and we create a a risk mitigation framework uh, that is broadly usable, uh, we can continually improve it by nature of these partnerships, because we're seeing a broader swath of the the threat landscape and we're getting a better sense of of how others are analyzing these risks and appreciating the problem. So I I think the ecosystem model is the right one. Much like the criminals who are attacking these companies, uh, they too use this affiliate system to really broaden their reach and their skill sets. I think we have to employ a similar defense strategy uh, if we're going to to meet them here and, and
0: join the battle. Mm -hmm. so in terms of um the business I'm I'm always interested in this and I'm just going to switch gears a little bit um you you you, yourself as the COO and your CEO um uh, you guys worked together before um in 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 government and I wanted to kind of I wanted to pick up like sort of funding because obviously it was down as a seed. It makes more sense. Now we know it was, it was put together to, um, you know, acquire a business. That's why the round was so large. But when you see seed and then you see sort of $40 million, you go, okay seeds are getting bigger than they used to so that's quite interesting <laughs> but, but I, i'm also i think seed a b the, the terms are starting to kind of you know intersperse and and, and sort of become a little bit meaningless um, however um i wanted to talk to you about teams um you know how important for you and your business was it to have the right team um and then of course what I'm really getting to is like how how much do you think it impacted your ability to kind of go out and raise capital, um, that's sort of having the right team?
1: So glad you asked that question. It's a great question. Uh, it's everything. You know, I, I will tell you plain and simple. Uh, you know, if you if you want to be able to do this at scale and be successful, uh, when you are facing uh, the type of threat actors and sophistication in this landscape and how quickly it's moving, you, you can't do it with just a few people, and you can't do it with a uh, really centrally managed, centrally controlled system. You've got to not just hire great people or partner with great uh, institutions. You've got to really then empower them to go out within their specific domain expertise and affect the problem. And So uh, for us, you know, raising that initial round of funding uh, and being able to do so where we could go and build uh, the team with the right set of skills across the board to do this at the right level of experience uh, was instrumental. I mean, that, that was the key more than anything. I mentioned the data that they had, but they had some fantastic people who had been working together for a long time to, to affect this problem. So when we brought them together with, uh, and, and this is a group that had been largely based in Toronto, Canada, Mm-hmm. Uh, we brought them together with a group of very talented data scientists, security engineers, uh, cloud, uh, you know, cloud uh, data engineers who are used to doing this at the big tech companies at scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we brought these sort of two worlds together, merged them and integrated them into a single team. And I think that more than anything has been the secret to what has allowed us to um, you know, make this model successful, at least to the point we are today. It has been the people. And I, that's where I spend 90% of my time uh, in simply recruiting, uh, coaching, you know, empowering, thinking about the resources that they need to go and do their job, innovate, and be thinking about, hey, what, what are the next threats that we're going to face? Uh, how do we get ahead of them? How do we deliver better service uh, to our customers? I think uh, for me, first of all, that, that's the most fun part of my job is that coaching element of it. But I also think it's the key, and especially in this environment, uh, the, the macro conditions that uh, the pandemic has created, mm-hmm. uh, and doing so remotely uh, from, from our garages or you know, uh, living room, it's very difficult to do that, and I think create that very coherent, uh, but yet mission-driven uh, type of organizational ethos. But that's something more than anything that we really focus on, and we think it comes down to, you know, can you inculcate the right values? We've got a set of values that uh, aren't just, you know, up on the wall somewhere. Uh, You ask anybody in our company from the people who are sitting uh, 24 seven doing shifts in in Toronto, Canada, to, uh, you know, the the data scientists in Seattle, Washington, you ask them the values of this company and they will tell you the same. Uh, You know, it is trust, customer focus, execution, continuous improvement. Uh, That starts during the interview phase for us, building and recognizing the importance of that and ensuring that uh, it's a good mutual fit uh, all the way through every element of our strategy, every element of our product, and how we deliver that service to the customers uh, really revolves around those things. And again, if we can stick to those first principles, then from there, identifying those service outcomes and delivering them reliably uh, is much simpler, or at least in, in concept it is simple. Uh, but then when we face those practical headwinds of of actually coming to market and battling the uh, the attackers, it's good to be able to, to always you know revert to that North Star, to know who we are, what we're doing, and what really matters, which is delivering value mm-hmm. to that end user. So uh, for us, the, I'm, I'm so glad that you asked the people question because it, it's the thing that uh, I think about all day more than anything else. And you know, there's a lot of hard and interesting problems, but I think the people one is the most important one to solve.
0: Mm. I, I mean, Oh, but I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, I was listening to a podcast actually t- earlier today um, when I was glamorously doing some washing up in my house. But I, uh, I, was, um, I was listening to a diary of a CEO, Stephen Bartlett, and um, he was talking to the, uh, the founder of Gymshark. Um, and they'd said that um, every startup business is a recruitment business, you know, at, at its core, because it's the bottleneck for, bottleneck for growth um you know you you can take on more clients and but if if you take on more clients and your delivery starts to kind of fall down because you haven't managed to expand the team then 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 you're in trouble um have you found any specific bottlenecks with regards to recruitment um you know are there any sort of key areas that are are a big challenge for you um and, and and i suppose as well how's the how is the pandemic either helped or hindered that? Because there there have been people that have found it easier. Yeah, well,
1: uh, it's absolutely something that uh, for this year in particular, for us to be able to, you know, really begin operating at the next level of scale, servicing a broader swath of our markets, um, it is the key bottleneck that we need to solve for. Uh, You know, I will say this, though, my approach to it is um, maybe a little different, but I really think if you can, if you can identify the right role and you know build out the right rack, and then you know what I like to think about is that's when the chess game begins. Uh, Everybody who works in this company, I I think, is like uh, a chess piece, right? They all have different skills, and and I mean this in a really, I think a really interesting way. We we are a team, and we are operating as a team on a chessboard. And I see, you know, my my job, my role is to constantly be thinking about how can we rearrange this board, how can we be making moves, smart moves that are thinking two, three moves ahead so that we are fully leveraging the strength of every person on our team. And we're doing so in a way that gives them a path to growth mm-hmm. that is really interesting for them and meaningful. So that this isn't just a place that's giving them a paycheck, but we're helping them develop new skills, you know, we're broadening them, we're challenging them in a healthy way. Hopefully a way that helps them retain some work-life balance, but, you know, in an intellectual way. Uh, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot with our team is uh, not just the importance of time management, but I think the importance of energy management. You know, you really need, uh, I, don't, I don't want people to be worn out coming in and just punching the clock. You know, for, for us as a startup, we're an innovation company. We need to be thinking creatively at how to solve problems smartly. And we need to be thinking creatively ahead of, to get ahead of the adversary, because they're, the, they're thinking creatively every, every day, right? So you know, for us, uh, that's really, I think, the magic is when you can get the right people, you can really empower them, you can give them room to really grow, and then you know, get out of the way. Ensure that they're supportive, ensure that they have what they need, ensure that they've got that you know, mission and the strategy uh, fully understood, and, and they're excited about it and then get the hell out of their way, and let them do their jobs really well, Uh, just be there to enable them. At that point, I'm more logistician than anything else, trying to, to, you know, clear brush and make sure that they've got the next uh, element of supplies waiting for them when they get to their next milestone. So, um, you know, that's how uh, we like to think about this. And again, as we as we grow this diverse global team, I think that becomes more and more interesting to do, because now we've got more layers of people we've got, you know, now we've got Directors who are managing, senior managers who are managing, you know, very senior uh, individual contributors around the world. And so as we grow into these new uh, functional specialties, uh, it really becomes a a much bigger chessboard with a lot more specific skills who we've got to be thinking about and always staying ahead of so that they've got that growth path that they're excited about. I think if we can get that right, then recruiting new people to come into this culture where they say, hey, I'm not just valued for what I'm doing today. I'm valued for the potential and what I'm excited about. And the more creatively I solve problems, uh, the more interesting challenges that I'm going to get. I'm gonna get those growth opportunities and those, those leadership opportunities. That's the other thing that we talk a lot about is not uh, leadership, exercising leadership is not a function of title. Anybody can be a leader. You know, it, it may depend on the problem, it, may, it could be a meeting. But anybody can assert leadership at this company. Uh, and that's what we want to be doing again on behalf and in service of our, our clients and their protection.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that's so important. That leadership point right at the end there, I, I really resonates with me because something that I became aware of is that in my in my arrogant youth, <laughs> in my arrogant youth, I was very much, I wanted to lead and I wanted to manage, and I had therefore I had to manage everything. So it was every meeting, and I was, I was all that. Everything's bad about management. And then as soon as I realized that my role was to hire people that were better at things than me and let them run with the things that they're better at. And, and that meant if there's a meeting around that thing, it doesn't matter if it's my team, it, it's their meeting. You know, it's 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 all about kind of getting out of the way. But um it took me a very long time to learn that. But you know, that's that's the way it is. Um, Chris, I'm really conscious of time, so thank you very much for being a guest. I just want I always like to ask people this but it's particularly prescient because we're in 2021 just but it will be 2022 when this comes out so um what's what's happening for you guys in 2022 is there any kind of just continuation or growth Are there any kind of milestones out there be lovely to hear about what's ahead
1: well you know it's it's uh beginning to realize uh the partnerships that we have been working to develop enable uh, you know, really begin to operationalize, but we haven't yet scaled. Mm-hmm. Uh, that excites me more than anything. Uh, we, we, I, I think we're very strong at direct sales, uh, but as you know, and especially given uh, you know uh, manpower limitations, that that only goes so far. But if we can, if we can really create the right partnership models uh, and and figure out how to really uh, operate those at scale and and do so efficiently. Uh, that's where I think our reach uh, will be able to you know, service a lot more clients and, and I hope start to really develop this outcome-based model of, of protection, this maturity model concept, uh, and, and take it out to the, uh, to the, um, to the market writ large. So that, that more than anything is something that I'm really excited about. I think uh, these things are really poised to take off. And you know, we've talked about some of, the, um, some of the partners who we're working with already. We've got a few others, some of the big tech uh, distributors in particular uh, have been great to partner with. and so we're we're really excited to launch those uh, into the market in twenty two. and uh, you know, I, I think uh, it's also uh, always interesting to see what the the threat actors do next. We know uh, the one thing that we can count on is the unknown uh, mm-hmm. coming to fruition. So uh, usually that happens on a holiday weekend, you know at about you know eleven or or twelve at night. So um, I guess we'll have to wait for the next holiday. maybe that's this weekend. To see what what's in store. But um, uh, those, those two things I think are what make me anxious, but also
0: what make me excited about 2022. <laughs> I love that. I love the geophily of that. It's like it's the anxiety and the interest as well. But Chris, thanks. you. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for spending some time with me. And um, yeah, I really appreciate you being a guest on the podcast. Likewise, Alex. Thank you very much. Great conversation. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Ben. As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com, or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email at at alexatwearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.